Uh, each of the four Gospels has a different, a different emphasis. So Matthew is the Gospel of the King, whose whole focus is on Jesus as the King, and it's written to the Jews. Mark is the, the Gospel of a servant, and it's, you know, talking about it's a lot of actions, a lot of things Jesus did to, to, to help people and things. And it's written to the Romans. Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man, and it was written mostly to the Greeks. And then John shows Jesus as the Son of God. And you notice if you read through John, there's a lot of um, doctrinal things in John. Uh, and it was written to everyone. It's a universal um, message, book. I mean, they all are, but you know, they have a focus on a certain, um, certain group that they're writing to. So Matthew, we know um, from the Bible, he was a government-type guy. He was a tax collector. Uh, when Jesus called him, he was used to keeping records. And as he writes his book... You can see that. Uh, the book of Matthew can be divided into ten sections of doing and teaching. So I don't know if you notice when you're flipping through your Bible, if you've got the red letter edition, the rare collector's edition. If you've got the red letters, you'll notice as you're flipping through Matthew, there's just big blocks of red. There's like pages and pages and chapters of red. So the way Matthew um, organizes his book, he, he tells a story. And then he does a whole bunch of teaching from Jesus. And then there's like a transition type verse. And then he tells another story. And then a whole bunch more teaching. So I have this on a chart. I should have printed it out and gave it to you. But I failed. So forgive me. Maybe next week I'll give it to you. But well, chapter 1 to 4 is a narrative. It's all the story of, you know, Jesus' birth and all that. And then chapters 5 to 7, you know, you got the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, then there's a little transition. Then 8, chapters 8 um, to 9, 34. Another story, and then the chapter 10, 42, there's teaching. So it goes like that. There's, there's a story, and then there's teaching, and then it ends. goes like that five times, and then it ends with uh, the crucifixion, resurrection story. Uh, so Matthew, in his gospel, he describes Jesus as the doer and the teacher, and he focuses on the kingdom of God because he's presenting Jesus to the Jews as the king. So if you look up um, the kingdom of God, you know, you, you search for that in your Bible. There's going to be a lot of it in Matthew. Most of the verses in the New Testament that reference the kingdom of God are in, are in Matthew. So that's his focus. And, and one more thing, Matthew, um, you know, we see that he arranged it. Stories, teaching, stories, teaching, stories, teaching. Um, so he arranged everything in topical order. So it's not necessarily chronological. It's not necessarily in the order of the way things happen. Um, so if you read chapters 8 to 9, there's 10 miracles that just happen, bam, 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 bam. But that's not the way. If you compare it to the, the other Gospels, you'll see that they didn't happen in that, you know, back to back to back. But he, he groups it together like that. Um, so if you have studied the other Gospels with Matthew, you'll see that he doesn't contradict them, but he doesn't follow their pattern of writing. He's got it very organized. This is the other guys are kind of like narrative, and that's especially Mark. Um, so he doesn't follow their pattern of writing, but he doesn't contradict them either. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So we're reading it. Now you know how it's laid out. Um, so we're not going to go um, verse by verse through these, but we're just going to pick up four stories and lessons from them. Maybe someday we will. I don't know. It'll be a long uh, adventure uh, like Acts was, like Nehemiah was. But um, I was going to start with the Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but that could be several lessons in itself. So we're going to skip that one for now. Instead, we're going to jump to the middle of the book, chapter 11. 
We're going to talk about a story about John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist was related to Jesus. Uh, he spent his ministry preparing the people of Israel to receive Jesus and his message. Uh, his nickname, other than John the Baptist, was the forerunner. He kind of paved the way for, for Jesus. And um, this story, it's near the end of John's life, and he's been arrested basically because he hurt the feelings of some powerful people. He said, hey, you're living in sin. They're like, well, I don't want to listen to that. Jail you go. So John finds himself in jail. That's where the story is. And um, verse 1, chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Sorry, and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who so ever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. And what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, Notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So there's this little story in the middle here I'm going to focus on. If I had to give it a title, it would be um, From Confusion to Confidence. It kind of goes along with lament. You know, where we're confused and we're frustrated with God. And we, we come to him, we ask him, you know, what's going on? And in the end, we end up trusting him. That's, that's the goal, right? Um, and before you, start, before you start studying something... There's generally some questions. There's generally some confusion. Uh, that's the whole point of studying an, ed an education, to make things clear. You're not going to study something that you already know, really. You study to learn something new. You study because you don't understand something, or uh, maybe you're forced to in school. Maybe you never understand it, but that's what you do. You study because you're trying to learn something new, and once you, you're done studying it, uh, once you're done learning about it, there's a sort of confidence that you get. Yeah. Like, oh, I know this. Um, from the knowledge that you now have. And that's how education works. And John the Baptist is a little bit different. We find him at the end of this story, at the end of his life, pretty much. And um, he's confused. But he wasn't... Um, he wasn't confused because he didn't know about Jesus. He wasn't confused because he didn't study the word. He knew the word. He knew about Jesus. Um, he met him, you know. He's related. Family connections. Um, and uh, he was confused because the things that people were saying about Jesus and the stories he was hearing didn't seem to match up with what the scripture had said about the Messiah. And his education was incomplete. He thought he knew it, but there was something he needed to learn, something else he needed to learn. And confusion 
it's not always a bad thing. You know, sometimes we think it is. Um, as you may have noticed, with anything I teach or preach, I like to try to challenge um, maybe what we normally think. Um, confusion is not always a bad thing. It can be caused by circumstances. It can be caused by lack of understanding. It can be caused by lack of information. Or it can just be caused by a time of transition between error and truth. Confusion can cause us to look for clarity. If you like your alliteration, your words start with the same thing. Confusion can cause us to look for clarity. You say, this doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're reading your Bible and you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why would it say that? Let's figure it out. So you studied it to try to figure it out. Or um, a couple of weeks ago, our toilet was leaking. Um, I did not know anything about replacing toilet parts or toilets or plumbing in general. I did not understand anything about it. And after 28 hours, I can tell you I know all there is to know about replacing a toilet, how it's hooked up, how it works. <laughs> it was awful. But I didn't know. I was confused. I went through that. Now I know. I will come fix your toilets for $100 an hour. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> But people, sometimes we have a tendency to think we know everything. And even if we're wrong, um, maybe doctrinally or, or belief or whatever, um, in order for us to leave that error where we're wrong, in order for us to leave that, there needs to be some sort of confusion. There needs to be something that causes us to question you know, why I believe this or, um, yeah. And we're all here because we've had questions, right? You know, you came because you were looking for something. You came because you, you heard about something and you wanted to check it out. We're all here because whether we want to admit or not, there's some sort of confusion in our lives that led us here, which is a weird way to think about it. But that's, we're all here because we had questions and we're, we were willing to admit that we didn't know it all. And in this transition sort of the way, in this transition sort of way, confusion only lasts for a time. It's not a permanent thing. We don't, you know, we've all met people that we have the opinion that they are permanently confused. But this kind of confusion we're talking about, it's something that leads us from one thing to, to another. And so we find, we find John the Baptist near the end of his life slightly confused. He's in a time of transition, not from error to truth, but a transition from confusion to confidence itself. And John knew who the Messiah would be, and he knew what he would do because he knew the scripture, because he knew the prophecies about the Messiah. But due to his circumstance, John was in prison. Due to his circumstance, his knowledge was limited. He couldn't see what Jesus was doing. All he had was the, the things that people were saying. He wasn't out there you know, in the multitudes when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. He wasn't, you know... He wasn't there when he was doing all these things. He, he couldn't see it for himself. He had to rely on someone else's information. And he was hearing things about Jesus, rumors and stories. And as you know, most of the time, rumors and stories aren't true. And so he was hearing things about Jesus that wasn't quite lining up with what he knew the word said. And they weren't quite lining up. And because he was in prison, he was unable to confirm. 
was unable to, to check it out. And John was confused so much and shaken so much that he starts questioning his role in this whole thing. Now, John was supposed to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one that went out and he was preaching, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was shaking everyone up for six months before Jesus started his ministry. He was out there getting people ready to receive something from God. And that's, that's what his, his role was. And um, he was supposed to be the forerunner, but now he wasn't even sure if Jesus was the Messiah. Verse uh, 3, he says, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? That's a big question from John, who his whole life, has, his whole purpose in life has been to prepare the way for this guy. Prepare the way for Jesus. Even though at the beginning, John was the one who said in John 1, 29, says, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John knew this. But something caused him in this prison, something caused him to be confused and send his, his disciples to ask Jesus, you know, are, are, are you actually the one? Or do we look for someone else? And I think if we're honest, we all kind of go through times like this where we question things. We just spent a month talking about lament and how to pray through these questions, uh, dealing with this type of thing. But we have questions sometimes, you know, am I doing this? Am I doing this right? Am I, um, is this all real? Is this, am I just wasting my time? You know, I think if we're honest, we, we've had these times in our lives and John was no different. And John was, at this moment, he was shaken and his faith was being tested. And that's something I think we all deal with if we're honest about it. During times of loss and pain and heartbreak and, and things that happen, you know, we have these questions and we've just talked about it for a few weeks. But this is where John is. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one that we're looking for? Are you the one that I'm preparing the way for or, or not? Are we supposed to be looking for someone else? Are you the one or not? And Jesus gives them evidence um, that he gives them the evidence that John is looking for. And you see as you read through this that his confidence is restored because of what Jesus tells him. And it's an important thing to know that Jesus doesn't condemn John. Jesus doesn't get mad at him. He understands. And instead, at the end, after he sends the disciples back, he praises John. He says some good things about him. He says in verse 11, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty good thing to come out of Jesus' mouth. There's nobody that's greater than John. So let's go, let's go through the story. So John, beginning of the story, he is a man that is confused. And maybe the main reason for him being confused was that he was in jail. John didn't do anything wrong. He'd done what he was called to do. He'd done what he was born to do. He'd accomplished his mission to let people know about the coming Messiah. He'd, he'd went hard. He'd worked hard at what he was called to do. And he was never told to stop. So he didn't stop. He just kept doing it. But yet, here John finds himself in prison. And there's nothing like doing nothing wrong and being punished for that leads to confusion. Right? right. Even in like the, not just spiritual things, but even like the workplace you get blamed for something you didn't do and you get in trouble for something you didn't do. Or growing up, my brother always got away with it, it seemed, and I got in trouble for things. There's nothing more confusing than when you don't do something wrong and you're getting punished for it. So John, 
He's in prison even though he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong and it leads him to be confused. And there's a book called Job that 40 some chapters dealing with that type of thing. But there's times when we feel like, why am I being punished? What did I do wrong? And that's where John was. I thought I was doing the right thing. Aren't you the Messiah? What's going on here? And prison is a place of trial. Literally and metaphorically, it's a place of trial. No matter how well things are going, um, it's hard not to question or doubt when you find yourself in prison or you find yourself in a trial. It's, not, it's hard not to, to question or doubt. In prison, tests what you believe. It's also a place um, of introspection, of looking in. Because um, you're alone with you and your thoughts. And for some of us, that's scary. But it gives you time to think, to look back and contemplate and maybe overthink sometimes, and some of us do. And trials do this too. If you read through Job, you know there's a lot of thinking out loud in Job. Oh, Job and his friends all thinking out loud. But trials cause us to think. You know, it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere and there's not a lot of things to do. So we, we tend to think, we tend to um, examine ourselves and uh, maybe overthink and overanalyze like Job did and like John was doing. And so here is John sitting in prison overthinking everything in his life and everything he'd done was intertwined with the ministry of Jesus, preparing the way for him preaching and pointing people to Jesus and now he finds himself here was he wrong the whole time was he mistaken had you know had he had he missed it and the enemy has a way of attacking our strongest beliefs and our convictions John was a guy of convictions he, he lived different than everyone else but here he finds himself questioning everything that he'd ever done when he sees someone who's super strong in certain areas or beliefs I don't know if you notice this but if you, if you think of people that have walked away they, and they were really strong in one thing, that one thing seems to be the thing that they've fallen in. Or, um, yeah, this seems to be the thing that makes that trips them up. Or the, if it, yeah, or the very thing that they preached against. And the enemy will attack your calling and your identity as your strongest convictions represent the most vulnerable targets in your life. For example, if someone was delivered from a certain addiction, they will do whatever they can to avoid that, to stay away from that addiction. But when they fall, it's generally will be because of that. Does that make sense? Amen. The enemy knows it's important to you and will attack it. And if he can get you to break on that, then you're, you're falling. So John was very... Secure in his calling, and that's when the enemy starts attacking him. John was a man of confidence, but this prison thing just rattled his mind, and his, his calling was being shaken and being attacked. And with John, the, the doubts start to attack his very being, his very purpose, and his, his calling. Have you ever been called? You know there will be times when you question if you have or not, because the if the enemy can get you to believe that you weren't, then it's over. So while John's wondering, he... He wonders about Jesus. And being shaken to our very foundation is something that seems to be common in the testing of our faith. There will come a time when we're tested and shaken to the core. If it hasn't happened, it will. 
And uh, if you're honest, you can probably look back and remember when it happened. It could be through mental testing, physical, spiritual testing, different ways that we're tested. But, and as difficult as these times are, they are important because they make us stronger. So just like John wondered about Jesus, you know, wondering, is he, the, is he the real Messiah or do we look for someone else? The enemy will put questions about Jesus in our mind. Too. You know, something happens and, and we're all like, well, does Jesus even exist? Does he really care about me? Does, and, you know, we start questioning our relationship with him as soon as something happens. And John wanted to believe. He felt like he believed, but he had this nagging question. Are you the one or do we look for someone else? And it would be nice if we could live in a place without doubt, but without doubt, uh, we wouldn't know what faith is. They go together. They don't go together. Just like you wouldn't know what happiness is without times of sadness. Wouldn't know what faith was without times of doubt. So John wondered about Jesus. And then John wonders about his purpose. John's whole purpose in life was to be the forerunner of Jesus. Luke 1, uh, 16 to 17 says, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And it's talking about John. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a prophecy about John. This is what he's going to do. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord to come. And he knew it his whole life. But yet here he was, 30-some years old, now questioning everything he'd ever done. And at some point in our walk with God, we will find ourselves wondering if it's really worth it. And what's the use? What's the point? Why am I doing this? Right? <laughs> purpose is a great motivator. When you feel like you're accomplishing what you're meant to be doing, it feels good, and you keep going. But when you don't, it, it's downright depressing. And the enemy can get you to doubt your calling or your purpose, and he can get you to stop walking with God. And John had led many people to Jesus. He pointed Andrew and John, um, the disciple. To Jesus, the two first disciples of Jesus, he he said, "This is the guy you should be following." You know, Andrew went and got Peter, and he done a great job. You know, pointing people to Jesus, he baptized Jesus, he had done some incredible things. But here, here he was in prison, questioning everything, and it's wild how important we can feel sometimes when we're doing what we're supposed to do and everything's working out. We're like, "Yes, I've got this." You know, I'm the man or the woman, whatever. Um, it's also wild how doubt and difficulty can shatter the whole thing. Something happens, it's like, well, I don't know anymore. What am I doing? It's a good positive message, right? <laughs> so John is in prison. He's, he's questioning, wondering if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's really called, if he's, he's lived his life for a purpose, or if he's lived it in vain. And Jesus sends him back a message that convinces him. Matthew eleven four to five. When his disciples returned, they told Jesus or they told John exactly what he needed to hear. And Jesus is good at that. He tells us what we need to hear. He knows what we need to hear. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So the first thing he told them to tell John was the blind receive 
their sight. And John knew that Isaiah had prophesied about this. In Isaiah 35, 4-5, it says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And there, So John knew there was a prophecy that the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to give sight back to the blind. And there are many instances in the Gospels where Jesus heals blind people. And John knew that the healing of the blind wasn't enough to make him the Messiah. But if he wasn't healing the blind, then he couldn't be the Messiah. Because there was a prophecy that said he was going to heal the blind. Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So John hears. You know, he's, he's confused. He starts hearing. He hears these reports. And his faith starts to grow. Faith comes from hearing. As John starts to hear about the miracles, he starts moving from confusion to confidence. That's why our testimonies are important. That's why the word is important. We, if we don't share it, if we don't tell it, then there's no faith. It builds faith when we read through his word and see the things that he's done. It builds faith when we tell each other about the miracles he's done in our lives. Faith comes by hearing. John was hearing other things, but Jesus said, this is what I want you to tell him. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the gospel preached to them. The lame walk. John's disciples told him that the lame were walking. And as he heard it, he no doubt remembered Isaiah 35 and 6. It says, the lame, then shall the lame man leap as an heart or as a deer. Have you ever seen a deer leap as you try to take it down? Something you don't miss so you don't see it. <laughs> They're good at leaping. You have a fence, keep them out of your garden, they'll find a way in. The lame shall leap as a, as a heart or as a deer. There's another prophecy fulfilled, another thing encouraging him to believe. He knew that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah without doing these miracles, so hearing that he was um, reassured him. And each positive report strengthened his confidence. The lepers are cleansed. It's the next one. Jesus... He didn't come with all the credentials that the Jews expected. He didn't come as a national hero to deliver them from Rome. Instead, he came as a healer and a teacher. And the only thing they had to confirm that he was the Messiah was the prophecies. And here he was fulfilling them one by one. And this one's a little bit neat because there's no specific prophecies about the Messiah cleansing lepers. But yet here was... Jesus, going above and beyond what they expected. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It's like he was saying, you know, I'm doing all that you heard. I'm giving sight to the blind. I'm causing the lame walk. I'm doing this too. He didn't even see this coming. I'm doing this too. I'm healing, cleansing the lepers. There's incredible thing. Leprosy, um, it wasn't something you could be you know, healed from, unless miraculous intervention. It wasn't something that you just, it just went away. It was something you were, you were stuck with. And here he was cleansing the lepers, doing above what they expected. The next one is the deaf here. Isaiah 35 and 5, we already read it, says that the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. It's another prophecy fulfilled. 
In Mark 7, Jesus heals a deaf man. And these testimonies and reports um, like that were confirming to John that he was, in fact, the one. The dead are raised up, he said. There are three stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. There's Lazarus, there's Jairus' daughter, and then there's the widow's son on the, the funeral procession. And then obviously himself later. And then later on more. But um, in the Gospels, there's three stories. And although history tells us that by the time John heard this, only two of them had been raised. Lazarus was a little bit after. Um, but people are impressed by healings. You tell someone, you know, I had, I had some back pain and we prayed at church. Now it's gone. People are like, well, that's pretty neat. And like, I used to wear glasses. We prayed. Now I don't need them. And people are like, well, that's kind of weird. That's neat, though. It's people are you know, impressed by um, you know, these healings, deaf ears, diseases, um, tumors gone. You know, people are impressed by these kind of things. But there's something about raising <laughs> from the dead that just kind of kicks it up a notch. <laughs> right? And you can maybe reason away some of the others. I know, you know my in-laws are unable to hear. And all the children have said at least once to me that they think they're faking it. And then one day they're going to be like, oh, I can hear you the whole time. You know, we can reason away other things. You know, well, maybe, maybe they're actually aware. Maybe they're faking it. Maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe you know, the pain just went away. You know, sometimes that happens. Maybe... Uh, you know, you can you can try to reason away other things. You know, that's all in your head, and you know, all that type of thing. And people do that. You know, there's their history, and people have faked miracles. You know, lots of stories about it. Uh, you can maybe reason away that stuff, but someone that's dead being brought back to life, it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, I don't know. Especially in Lazarus's case, you know, he was dead four days. He was buried. And like, all right, roll away. Lazarus, come out. And he's like, okay, here we go. You know, he should have been stinketh. They said, you know. <laughs> but the dead to life, you know, that's something you can't really argue with. Especially now when we've got medical, you know, proof. People are pronounced dead on the scene, and they're not anymore, right? It's possible to misinterpret healings, maybe, you know, think that you're healed um, when maybe you weren't, you know. Uh, it's possible to do that, but it's practically impossible to miscalculate someone being raised from the dead. And all of these miracles, one by one, are confirming to John the Baptist that Jesus was indeed the one. And they moved John closer to, to confidence and further away from his confusion, closer to confidence in who Jesus was and further away from the confusion. You know, but what am I doing with my life? Am I, is this just all in vain? And one more thing Jesus says, the poor have the gospel preached to them. John was a common man. John didn't have a lot of stuff. And his dad was a priest. Um, but um, this is before the prosperity gospel really took, took hold and people were making millions preaching. He wasn't, he was from, you know, a long line of rich people. John, he lived out in the desert. He ate locusts and honey, good stuff. A lot of protein and wore camel's hair. 
didn't have the nicest clothes. You know, Jesus even said about him, what, when he had to see a man clothed in soft raiment, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. Matthew 8, or 11 and 8. And the fact that Jesus was ministering to the poor instead of uh, kissing up to the rich was incredible. You know, so many people try to impress others that they think can help them climb the ladder. But instead, Jesus was going and ministering to, to the outcasts, to the poor, the sick, Amen. and the diseased. And that's not something a normal man would do. Right. We all try to better ourselves. We all try to climb the ladder. Right. Jesus went down the ladder. Amen. And John was a common man. He didn't have a lot. So this really would have spoke to him that Jesus was ministering to the poor instead of trying to impress the rich and trying to, you know, make a name for himself or whatever. And we could spend all day talking about each of these uh, statements. But you need to go to sleep and so do I. <laughs> but all through these testimonies, John's confusion turns into confidence in who Jesus was. And then Jesus commends John. After John's disciples left, um, Jesus starts talking to the crowds around him about John. And it's probable that the crowds started murmuring, as crowds often do. Oh, John, what an idiot. Why is he sending his disciples? You know, why? He should know better, right? Um, verse 7 to 11, it says, And as they departed, so after his, the, the, John's disciples left, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the, the king's houses. What went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So instead of getting mad at John for asking these questions, instead of getting upset with him for, for wondering and maybe having a little bit of confusion and doubt, Jesus instead backs John up to this crowd. And one of the best feelings that we can have is to have someone say something nice about us. I don't know about you, but... It, warms my cold heart. Doesn't happen often. Sometimes it does. Valentine's Day just went by and hopefully somebody said something nice about you then. Especially if you're married. <laughs> but there's something about when someone says something nice about you that makes you just feel, wow, that's great. Especially when we're feeling down and out or we're struggling with confusion and doubt like John was. To hear something um, good said about you makes you feel... Brings you up a bit. Um, Billy Cole said that for every one who got puffed up because people bragged on them, there's a hundred others who died from the lack of encouragement. It's not something that we do enough. Saying good things about people. We're afraid, oh, we're going to make their head get a little too big. We don't want that. It's my job to keep you humble. Oh. Really? <laughs> it's not. God humbles the proud, not you. But as nice as it is to have something said about you, that's nice, good, 
how much nicer is to have something said good about you said by by God Himself? Well done, good and faithful servant. He's a man after my own heart. But David, there's none like him in all the earth. He said about Job, there's no greater than John the Baptist. Said Jesus. It's it's something you know to say something nice about someone to their face. Well, we can sometimes we do that. Even if we don't like the people, it's called kissing up. <laughs> but when you say something nice about someone behind their back, you stick up for them. Man, that's that's the best. And Jesus stands up for John to the, this crowd. He said, "What do you what did you expect to see when you went to hear him? And he's more than a." A reed shaken in the wind. John wasn't easily swayed. Often John was the one doing the swaying. John was the one. He was the wind, not the, not the reed. He didn't have soft clothing. John didn't care about what he, he looked like. He was more concerned about doing the will of God. John was a man who delivered his message. He didn't back down for anyone. That's why he was in jail, to be honest. He told the higher-ups that they were living in sin, and they didn't like it. And they said he was the greatest... And the least. He was the greatest man to ever be born according to Jesus. That's some pretty high praise. But John, if we read through the rest of the story, he doesn't make it to the end. He doesn't make it to Calvary. He doesn't make it to the upper room. John dies before Jesus does. And, and so those of us who can experience the cross, those of us who can experience salvation, he says, are better off than him, even though John was the greatest, anyone that enters the kingdom is better, better off than him. So, in conclusion, John had done some pretty good things for God, some pretty great things for God. He paved the way for Jesus, but he found himself in a dark place. He found himself in prison in the middle of a trial, and he found himself questioning everything and being confused about Jesus, about his calling, about everything. John had given his whole life to this ministry. And now he was wondering if it was all in vain, if he'd completely blown it, or if he'd completed his mission. He wanted to know, one way or the other. And if we learned anything from four weeks learning about lament, we know that sometimes this, this happens. You know, we go through times of doubt, times of questions, time, uh, and if we're honest, you know, we've been there. But John, he did the right thing. He went to Jesus. And that's still what we need to do. Amen. When we're confused, when we have doubts, when we're wondering, we need to go to Jesus. John physically couldn't go, so he sent his disciples to Jesus. And John, or Jesus answered him in a way that would make sense to him. He, he said, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I'm the one. I wanna, he said, I want you to tell John what you see. And John knows he's gonna make it's gonna make sense to John. And that's exactly what John needed to hear to get over his confusion. So what can we learn from this story? The same thing from the last few weeks. We need to take our complaints and our confusions, our doubts, our concerns to Jesus. We need to take them to his word and let him answer. Jesus backed up what he was doing with the scripture. If we ever have any doubts, we ever have any confusion, we need to get into the Word, and we need to go to Jesus. We need to get into the Word, and we need to pray. 
I don't need to, whatever, go on Facebook or call up our friends and whatever. We need to go to Jesus first. Confusion isn't always a bad thing. Confusion is part of learning. Confusion is the road to clarity. It should fuel us and drive us to learn more, to get closer to Jesus. It's okay to ask questions if you're asking them to Jesus. He's the one with the answers. John didn't ask the jailer. He didn't ask his disciples, is Jesus the one? He went right to Jesus. Are you the one? And whatever Jesus tells you is going to line up with the word. And some people that think God's telling them stuff that doesn't line up with the word, and they're wrong. He's going to line up with the word. Everything he told him lined, it up, lined, it, lined up with the word. Put an extra ED in there. <clears throat> so through prayer and through the word, let Jesus lead you from confusion to confidence in him, confidence in who he is, and that results in confidence and who you are in Him, confidence in your calling and confidence in your relationship with Him. Anyway, that makes sense? I hope so. A little bit different. <laughs>